Welcome to Plato's Gravity, a homebrew podcast. This is Aaron. And I can't stand it. I know you planned it. I'm going to set it straight, this water gate. I can't stand rocking when I'm in here because your crystal ball ain't so crystal clear. It, he's Jason. I am Jason. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode, we welcome Jeremiah Tyson, who is the president of the Circle City Zymergy Homebrew Club right here in Indianapolis. He is an award-winning brewer who specializes in adjunct beers. He took first place for his alt beer in the 2017 Homebrew Con, and he won the Whitestown Brewfest in 2017. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, uh, Jerry, we always start off the show with a beer chosen by you. You have chosen my absolute favorite beer, and it is the first Indiana beer to be on the show. What are you? What are we drinking today, Jerry? Today we have some wonderful uh, Daredevil Liftoff IPA. Cheers and shout out to Daredevil. <laughs> I don't like. Cheers. We don't even need to do tasting notes. The answer is fucking amazing. This is this is probably. I, I want to say I feel like this is in your top five beers. For me, no. It's this is it. This is this is number one. Numero this, uno. This is numero uno. So there's a thing that Liftoff does. Other IPAs do it too. There's a thing that Liftoff does, and I, honestly, I, I, my beer vocabulary is still growing. And, and Jerry has been. Uh, doing this for a fair amount longer and he's been in the homebrew club longer so he's gotten some more tasting experience for sure but there's a thing that beers do where it's, it's in ipas a lot or good ones where they the mouth feel is like i call it slick where there's slick. like a yeah uh, like, like your tongue it coats it, it coats your tongue and malty goodness and then the hops just kick you in the face and i love it absolutely yeah. and uh and this one i mean i'll tell you it's it's probably my favorite example of an american ipa um you see a lot of them that are that are leaning heavily toward those really juicy ipas but i I don't think it gets much better than what daredevil's got with his liftoff no lift liftoff is the real deal and and honestly i like their double ipa too the the ripcord as well absolutely i've got some of that in the fridge too yeah well we uh when i so because it was an indiana beer and i could go and support the brewery i actually went to daredevil day to pick it up instead of picking it up at a liquor store like i normally do uh the beer for mm-hmm. the show and i picked up for my wife they have a rauk beer there and i highly recommend anybody <laughs> within driving distance of central indiana to drive to daredevil and drink their rauk beer it is tremendous that actually uh that's I, I haven't tried the Daredevil one, but uh, what was it? Chili Water, which is another brewery here in town, had a Rauk beer. Yeah, that was pretty good as well. Yeah. I, I think Daredevil's was better. Really? Yeah. Okay. I like I like the Chili Water one because it was named after a Deep Purple song. Uh, and I, for some reason, even though I'm in my 30s, I still love Deep Purple. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit <laughs> too young for it, but I still kind of love it. How do you uh, feel about Deep Purple, Jerry? <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I am not 100% familiar. That's, uh, smoke on the water is in fact, the oh, only, is that, them? that okay. is, that is them. And for some reason I grew up listening to like a weird eclectic mix of like seventies metal and like, uh, sixties R and B and like, I don't know. And I was just, I remember growing up being obsessed with like deep purple and like I remember being in high school and like no one had any idea who these these people were and I remember watching Oh sorry I can go totally ahead. get down with some eighties rock. Dude, uh you know what? As a kid, like I hated eighties rock. Oh man. But like now 
like the talking heads or like Duran Duran. Uh, I, like, I, I don't know. I, I just love that. Like, I eat it up. I feel like well, it, it's almost timeless. I know, except for when I was a kid, I had no time for it. <laughs> I didn't have any time to listen to music while I was doing nothing but going to school. I feel kind of jealous of you all because because my musical history is is very very limited. I mean, eighties rock to me is like Fraggle rock. <laughs> that's 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 my experience of rock in the eighties. So uh, I got I got nothing. Smoke on the what? Smoke on the beer, uh, Daredevil Rauk beer, which at some point you got to save me one because I don't know. I don't think I'm going to have one tonight, but uh, I'll probably come back. I don't know. Oh, you guys are out of town this weekend. Yeah, but we, we yeah. can just go to Daredevil tomorrow. Uh, have one on I'm actually going to Metazoa tomorrow. Talk about another brewery. Oh, right man. Metaz- Metazoa. We were we were there recently, but let's get back to to Jerry. So I, I in the in the pre show workup, I called you a, an adjunct beer specialist because I've known you to make several beers with adjuncts. But you also won uh, an award, a gold at National HomebrewCon for your alt beer, which is uh, not an adjunct beer at all. Can you talk about what it takes to win a, a, a gold with a style that's that particular? Um, you've got to be on the money hmm. because when you enter that competition so first i want to i do want to clarify i got first place in the first round i did advance and got to many best of show but i did not win the actual uh first place at uh at the homebrew con so i want to make sure okay. that for whoever's listening to that i'm not going to falsify that oh they're like hey man i want i in fact i hope that the person who actually won the all beer competition at national homebrew con is listening and they should they should call us and come on the show um, yeah, absolutely. We'll see. But so you know, I'll tell you what. Um, one of the uh, one of the things about bur- uh, brewing any German style hmm. uh, beer, um, I almost said lager, but uh, an alt beer is not technically a lager. It's kind of like a Kolsch. They're hybrid styles. Sure. But a lot of their beers are known for uh, for their good, clean, malty finish. Yeah. And um, and in order to get those, you've got to be really, really particular about the way that you. Uh, mash that temperature wise from your protein rest to your enzyme rest to your mash out, you know, and all the way through, you have to be really, really exceptionally on point in order to get a good finishing alt beer. And, uh, and then of course you also need a yeast that's uh, well adept to brewing those hybrid styles as well. Actually. So if, if we're thinking for listeners at home, is there like a mass distributed alt beer uh, that we might, compare what you made to um there unfortunately is not now i'm gonna go on on a little brief tangent about that okay because um when i first decided that i wanted to make an alt beer was because i I was actually in dusseldorf germany and um when i sat down i'm used to hearing them say you know what would you like Hmm. but there they say (laughs) Do you want beer? Yes or no? <laughs> that's, that's what you're either getting all beer, you're getting nothing. And uh, and when I tried that beer, I mean, I immediately fell in love with it, you know. And uh, and so the first thing I did is I came back and I tried to find some good commercial examples of that. Okay. Um, I do believe that there is a brewery in down in St. Louis that's got some, and I'm trying to think of the name, but it's I'm just kind of lost on me at the moment. But there are just not a lot of local uh, brewers of uh, commercial alt beer. Mm-hmm. And okay. so I strove, for, I strove on a homebrew level to make it, and that's how I got started. I like that you said, I'm going to go on a brief tangent, and you didn't... Normally, when I go on a brief tangent, <laughs> it's 
it's a very long tangent and I get very upset and somehow like, I don't know, Donald Trump comes up and I like start throwing shit and I'm just, <laughs> which I like at a certain point, I've got to start doing these like real nice tangents about, and then I couldn't find the beer that I wanted, but the world was still okay. <laughs> that was nice. That was a relaxing. So you'll notice when, when Jason goes on a tangent, a tangent is just a nice way to say that he's completely somewhere else. Yeah. There's not really a touch point to the circle. No, it just ends with me punching a hole in the wall. <laughs> There's the connection to a circle. <laughs> so you, you mentioned hitting like these your step mashes and your enzyme rest and all that stuff. Now, I, I've talked to you before about your brewing setup, and you don't have like a, a, a fancy setup where you have like a recirculating mash or something like that. So how are you managing to hold these temperatures and keep these temperatures and hit those numbers? Well, uh, I did just recently convert uh, a keg into a, um, into a direct fire mash tun. Okay. But even before that, um, yep, yep. Even before that, I used uh, just a just a regular square cooler, and uh, and so what I do, I use uh, I use Brewer's Friend, and it does a pretty good job of getting you pretty darn close with your water temperature, with your strike temperature. Okay. And then I generally infuse boiling water every single time because it allows you to use less water to bump up your temperature if sure. you're doing uh, infusion style. Now, um, what I usually do because you can always cool a mash down, and it takes a few minutes for enzymes to really get going mm. roughly five to 10 minutes before real enzymatic activity begins. Sure. And so what I'll do is I, is I'll strike maybe a little bit warmer than I want. I'm going for 122 for my protein rest. I'll strike to make sure that I at least get to 122 and then I'll add just a little bit of cool water to get the exact temperature that I want. Okay. Are you keeping like uh, hot water in like a separate hot liquor tank and then you're keeping cool water in like a, the plastic jug you bought it in or, or how does that work? Yep, absolutely. I, so, so I've got a, I've got a separate hot liquor tank that I'll heat up and, um, and, and I'll just kind of keep occasionally firing it to make sure it stays at its temperature. Um, and then for my, for my cool water, I just have a little bit of pre-mixed, um, water that I've got ready for the mash. Okay. I feel like, um, this is this is one of those things Aaron and I really want to work on is temperature control because I feel like so anyone who's been listening for a while knows that we're ad, avid biab brew in a bag brewers. the The problem with brew in a bag is that um, at least the way we've traditionally done it, we've tried improving it, but the way we've traditionally done it is like the spray and pray method of trying to get the temperature right, where you get it too high. And then you drop the malt in, or yeah, you drop the malt in, and it drops down, and eventually it gets too low, and your comms like, ah, it's it's too low, and then so you strike the fire, and then like, okay, it's one temperature too low, just give it a second, then suddenly like it's ten degrees too hot, and you're like, ah, you know, yep, yep. So 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 the good news about that, um, when it comes to enzymes, once again, um, enzymes. They, they generally have like this temperature range where mm. they'll function a little bit versus function extremely well versus denature. Right. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but, but the exact temperature, it's such a fuzzy line and, uh, and it usually takes a little bit of time. So just say, you know, um, you're trying to mash at 156. All of a sudden you notice that you just shot up to 163. Mm. Well, you know that beta is not going to survive. Uh, it shall denature. It's not going to survive at that temperature, but uh, but that brief stint, if you get that sucker back cooled down, you're going to still have some of that functioning. Right. 
instead of screaming with a high pitch, you would suggest just maybe adding some cold. Ah! <laughs> yep, absolutely, absolutely. Because you know, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times I've done it. You know, uh, especially in the beginning, it was such a huge guessing game. Hmm. You know, um, I'm pretty sure that I mashed in my first uh, all grain recipe, which surprisingly enough was what was a favorite. That was the peanut brittle. Okay. I'm pretty sure I matched in with nearly boiling water, and I stuck my thermometer in there, and I said, <laughs> yes, so it's supposed to be 154. This is definitely 178. 178. I, well, the good news is, like, you, you, yep. went, you went above and beyond. Yep. So, so, yeah, yeah. And so I, I threw in some cool water, and it, and it still went ahead and did its thing, you know, just how you'd want it to. Oh, nice. So, so e- even at 178, you didn't kill all the en- – you didn't denature all the enzymes, so you were able to get some good conversion for your starches. Yep, absolutely. You know, well, because uh, it takes a little while for those things to activate anyway. It takes a while for that water to really get through the grain to actually affect those enzymes. And so, granted, you don't want to be at 178 for very long, but yeah. if you strike in and you're that hot, you know, you add a little bit of cold water and um, get your temperature to where you want it and you'll be just fine. So, yeah, uh, Aaron mentioned earlier, uh, and this is mostly out of my curiosity, but that you'd been brewing for quite some time. Right. Mm-hmm. How long mm-hmm. are we talking about? Um, so we're we're talking about probably about six years. Okay. Um, and, uh, and and basically how I started was uh, um, I, I had a Mister Beer Kit that I had forgotten about. Fucking Mister Beer Kit keeps coming up. Like every yep. everybody starts with I I I feel kind of left out because I didn't start with Mister Beer. I feel like I missed this like essential step. Hang on. Let's. How did that go? Well, I'll tell you, it was the worst. It was the worst thing ever. As a, as a matter of fact, like it, it sat in the garage for probably because I, I bought this thing when I was in college, and this was like 2004. Okay, I didn't understand, you know, the whole yeast have have a lifespan. Yeah, that malts go stale, and I tried to make a beer out of that thing, and it was the worst. It didn't ferment. First off, um, I, I, I tried tasting, and it just tasted like stale bread that was wet. With a little bit of sugar in it. Mm. All right. Um, <laughs> um, I, I would have given up, but I had a buddy of mine that was brewing extract at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and he said, why don't you give it a try? You know, you can come help me out. And that's how I really got going. Oh, nice. Nice. We're trying to... Uh we're trying to coin a name for that person because, you know, everybody, very rarely do we, we come across somebody and you ask them, like, how do they start brewing? And it doesn't involve a buddy who is also brewing. Yeah. So it's, yep. it's like the guy that, like, tells you about Depeche Mode or something like, oh, my God, you have to hear this band. And suddenly, like, you're the biggest music nerd in the world. Like, yep. <laughs> there's always that guy for beer. Like your beer, your beer sensei. What did we? we I have? think I think the winner in the clubhouse is your brew ambassador. <laughs> oh, I like it. Your brew ambassador. Now, if I we like have, it. if any listeners feel like they have a better name for that guy or that gal who got you into brewing, we should uh, you should hit us up uh, at Plato's Gravity on Twitter or anywhere else. Yeah, you got any suggestions for that? So for 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 who should be the brew ambassador or for uh, what we should names? call it? Yeah, what, what you got? Brew ambassador is good. Brew bastard. I mean that. That's a good one. Yeah, just spitball. Just throw out something. I don't know. Let's see here. Um, I I, I got nothing. I, I, I'm trying. I honestly, yeah. I don't either. Actually, I'll, t- I'll tell you what'll happen is um we'll be at some random point in the show, and then I'll just yell out a name for no reason, and that'll be it. I think we should go with the name of your water your water calculating software. Brewer's friend. <laughs> just Bruce friend. <laughs> <laughs> Just Brewer's friend. Brewer, that Brewer's friend actually does other stuff. It's not fair to just call them a water calculating software. Well, and in, in reality, like it's it's technically the before you're a brewer's friend. 
Right. Before <laughs> pre-brewers. I was a brewer's friend and now I'm a brewer and people who are friends of mine are now brewer's friends. Okay, that's enough of this. So let's go back to that the alt beer. You're talking about um yeast health a little bit. Yes. So what's your what's your fermentation schedule look like for an alt beer? So um as for an alt beer in general, like I said, you got to have a certain hybrid yeast. It's got to be able to function well. It's got to be an ale yeast mm-hmm. that can function pretty cold to almost lager temperature. So you've got you've got to have one that can uh, that can do fine somewhere between probably fifty seven degrees and probably sixty three to sixty four degrees at at the max. Okay. You know, um, and uh, one of my favorites is uh, White Labs O thirty six. It's actually a Dusseldorf alt yeast. It's supposedly the one that they use there. Okay. Wow. But. Um, uh, whenever I think about yeast health, first off, you know, I always like to make starters for everything. Okay. You know, even if the beer is a small beer, which in all beer is a fairly light beer, usually around 4.8%, uh, I still want to go ahead and make a starter for that because you want to also proof the yeast. You want to make sure that you've got good viable cells and activity in that starter mm. before you put it into your work. Yeah. If you don't, then uh, you're going to get a lot of other off flavors uh, as a result of that fermentation of, uh, of unhealthy yeast. And then are you are you going like for that alt beer? Are you trying to hit like right at sixty degrees? Or are you trying to go towards the lower end of that yeast range, or or what's that look like? So um so so for me, I usually ferment mine right around fifty nine to sixty. Okay, you know if it gets up, so so I set my temperature uh, controller mm-hmm. to uh, to fifty nine degrees with a one degree differential. Sure, and so and so it will occasionally warm up to sixty before it kicks itself back on, and I'll okay. kind of stick there to that range just because um it's warm enough that I'll get just a little bit of that German yeast character into the beer without making a fruity ale that you would normally classify, you know, with other, uh, maybe American styles. Sure. So you want that? I think that's the, the hard part. Uh, we were talking before the show, Jason and I just made a Kolsch and we got none of that, uh, estuary character. And I think it's, it, it, it seems like for those German styles, it's a really hard line to kind of walk down mm. to get, some yeast character, but not you know too much because in both those styles, the yeast character is supposed to be subtle but present. Mm, yes, absolutely. And um, you know, and, and the Kolsch, you know, also another hybrid style, like we mentioned. Um, you definitely want to make sure that you're not necessarily you can ferment that thing as warm as you like. You know, it's an ale, but uh, but you want to make sure you're following um, at least somewhere in the mid range of that yeast tolerance sure. uh, as best that you can, and so. If it says, you know, 55 to 62, then you want to be somewhere in that 57, 58 range. Sure. To, to make sure that you get some of that because the, the cooler you get, you're going to end up clean. The warmer you get, you're going to end up fruity. So so you, you mentioned the White Labs yeast. We've been big fans recently of the the Imperial yeast, mostly because we're lazy and don't like to do starters. Have well, it's you, not that we're lazy. It's just that we can get it and not do a starter. Well, actually, it's not that we're lazy. It's that we don't have a stir plate. Uh, (laughs) well i will say um yeah stir plate for a starter is not required the only thing that that a stir plate does is it guarantees that you get the max uh production okay of uh of yeast you know um but you know one thing i love about imperial yeast is that when you get that packet you're not going to even get a two-month-old packet like when, when you get those things they're usually maybe two to three weeks old right and so you've got you've got a ton of viable yeast in those and I've noticed that whenever I pitch those things, I mean, they get going in just a matter of hours. Yeah, yeah I've actually I, – I, I've almost decided to go exclusively to them. I think I was pretty uh, 
I was pretty brand neutral when it was just White Labs and Yeast that were the main two competitors. But Imperial uh, has really changed my mind. I didn't like it's, the can so much, but their new mm-hmm. packaging has really just uh, they 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 sold me. I you know it's it's interesting actually. Um, a lot of people. I, when we talk to people, it seems pretty common that they're, they really like Imperial yeast too. Like, it seems like they just came out of nowhere and mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know. I mean, they didn't come out of nowhere. One of them used to work at, uh, I can't remember if it was Y yeast or White Labs, but they came from, mm-hmm. I think, I think one of them used to work at Y yeast. That's. Well, you know- no, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, I, I got a chance to sit in on a, uh, on an Imperial yeast, uh, little demonstration seminar and they talked about what they do to get their yeast, the freshest and the fact that it is actually organic, which is kind of crazy too, to think about, but, um, they go, they take a lot of steps to make sure that they've got literally the most viable yeast coming out. You know, by the time it reaches your hands, you know, that yeast is as fresh as it possibly can be from the time that they take it from mother cell to the time that it's shipped, you know, it's shipped completely cold and sealed. And uh, if, you, if you order something and have it come to your front door, it will come in a container and be cold when you open it. That's awesome. And so, so they, they do a really good job. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine about uh, the different brands of yeast and, uh, and and how there's always some sort of a trade-off. Um, one of the things that I absolutely love about Imperial <clears throat> is the general viability and how quickly they get going. One yeah. of the things that I've noticed that's kind of a detractor for it for me is uh, it has a lower average attenuation and a lower average flocculation. Okay. Interesting. And so, um, and so it, it usually needs more time uh, on the yeast cake, and it, and it doesn't drop as bright as quickly as some of the ones that I've seen from other brands. Okay, and that's interesting because I, I feel like the Kolsch we just made, we used, we used uh, I think it's Dieter, is uh, the Kolsch. The Kolsch yeast, mm-hmm. or it's either diet or house. I don't remember. Um, is the Kolsch yeast from from Imperial, and it's it looks it looks okay, but it's not it's not bright and and, and clear like a Kolsch should be. It's not uh, it's it, not crystal clear. We we've run into some issues. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm not vegan. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should announce that I'm not vegan. I am a vegetarian, so we try to steer clear of um, gelatin to clear the yes. beer. And we've been, uh, we've been uh, not so good about adding Irish moss in the last few batches. We just, we mm-hmm. just forget. Yeah. So I mean that that could be part of the problem. And it's still like it's still drinkable. There's Irish moss in the coals. Oh, is there? Yeah. There's oh. definitely Irish moss in the coals. Uh, we didn't forget. What, what was that? Uh, there's Irish moss. There's. There's there's money in the banana stand. <laughs> there's always money in the bananas. So let's go back. Let's finish up the conversation about the all beer because we talked a little before you came on the show that you felt like winning that competition is it requires you to hit your your rests as you mentioned. It requires you to have a nice controlled fermentation, but then also because that beer is so sensitive to oxidation, it requires your packaging to be kind of on point. Can you talk about how you package beers to make sure that you're getting the highest quality? Yeah. So, uh, whenever I, well, whenever I I package any beer, I try to be as careful as possible, but specifically for beers like that one, um, you, you, like you'll get a lot of different cherry, sherry, other characteristics that will come in as a result of, um, contact with the oxygen. And so I do whatever I can to limit that. And, uh, and one of the ways that, uh, that I've kind of learned to do that is through oxygen free transfer. And, um, it's really, really easy to accomplish in glass because they've got caps and um, okay. And uh, 
CO2 lines that actually fit onto those to where you can force it out of there without ever having to pump your auto siphon. Like the glass carboy? Um, I'm sorry? Like a glass carboy? Yes, absolutely. Um, but it also works well with the Fur Monster now. They just actually, I just discovered this about two weeks ago. They've got an attachment for a Fur Monster as well that will allow you to do uh, O2 free transfer. Okay, awesome. How does that work? Because I have a Fur Monster, but I do not have an attachment. Yep, yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a special bung. That that will go into that hole. That's got two holes: one for your uh, for your auto siphon, and then one for your CO two. And okay. basically, what it's going to do is it's going to it's going to pump in a very 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 low pressure of CO two because at first you've got positive pressure from your fermentation, right? Sure. And then, and so then you'll add your line in there, and then when you add your CO two, all it's going to do is use that pressure to force it back up through your uh, through your racking cane and into your keg or wherever it's going from there. So you're are, are you even putting a siphon in, or are you just throwing a racking cane in there and letting it just the pressure push it up the racking cane? Yep, yep, yep. J- just the racking cane itself, and um, I'll I'll attach a little bit of tubing with uh with a liquid uh, liquid out attachment so that when it fills the keg. Is going to fill from the bottom, so it's also not splashing around. So I, I try to purge my keg with CO2 as well, mm-hmm. just to make sure. Uh, undo the pressure release valve, and then set my PSI on my um, on my CO2 to, to one to two PSI, and that's enough to get it going up that racking cane and into the keg. And ten minutes later, you got a full keg. So it just goes like backwards through the pin lock yep. or ball lock valve. So you just you just so you go. You put the racking cane into the fermenter through the special mm-hmm. the special bung. The beer yes. comes up through that through a hose, and then at the end of that hose, you have a ball lock or a pin lock connector, and you hook that to the beverage side. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, li- the the liquid outside. Yep. Wow. And then yeah, and then it, it'll just go in like that's fantastic. And that's actually yeah, probably absolutely. not like if you are already kegging, that's not that expensive of a setup to turn around. You basically have everything you need except for maybe you'll get an extra pin lock or ball lock connector so you don't have to keep changing it out. Yeah. With the one yeah, you use for your keg. And, and, and you will need specifically the racking cane because the racking cane that comes with the auto siphon doesn't have the um the little yeast protector thing on the bottom. Okay. It goes, it goes on the outside of the actual auto siphon. And so you'll want a separate racking cane, but that's like eight bucks. Okay. So a racking cane that'll specifically keep the yeast out of the beer? Yep. Yeah. 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 Keep, keep you from sucking up the, uh, that yeast cake. Yeah. That's, 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 these are all the things that seem to be awesome about racking beer to a keg. Why I, did, feel, I feel like yeah. as the, as the guy who's here just to say silly things and just to be like, uh, weird, the fact that as, as brewers, we get to say things like special bung. And ball lock and <laughs> well, no, 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 with no, a straight. Don't forget that you put that. Uh, don't forget you put the racking cane inside that bung hole. Yeah, right. And my favorite is like um, the uh, when you're oh when you're cleaning out a keg or when you're cleaning out a kegerator when you when you're cleaning draft lines. Um, I don't. I can't even remember where this particular tool goes, but there's a tool called a just a ball lifter. And I, I don't know. Every time I had to use the ball lifter, it makes me you. <laughs> it's funny that you said that just now, uh-huh. and you, you didn't giggle. Mm. What What's up with that? I don't know. I don't know, man. Long day. Well, I think this uh, we spent about uh, about half the show now talking about how to get an amazing Alpier. So I think everyone should go home and try to get themselves an Alpier recipe together. When we come back from the break for this episode of Plato's Gravity, we're going to talk a little bit more about beers that aren't traditional German styles but have some uh, some interesting aspect 
interesting aspects to them. Uh, maybe some external ingredients. I believe peanut brittle might be in store for our conversation after the break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, welcome back to Plato's Gravity. Uh, we're Hello. Gonna, we are going to dig into uh, uh, some adjunct beers that Jeremiah has put together. Uh, I think most notably, your first all grain recipe was a peanut brittle porter. A uh, peanut brittle brown ale. Ah, look at me, I got it wrong. Peanut brittle brown <laughs> ale. So I think it's interesting. Not only, so you've won, you've won awards with this, this, the recipe that resulted from this first all grain recipe you put together. It was part of your Whitestown victory in 2017. What, what's the kind of the mindset when you're going into your first all grain batch? And a lot of people are like, okay, I'm just going to do the most simple thing. I'm going to do basic. I'm going to try. So where where's you where are you at recipe creation wise? We're like okay, we're jumping to all grain, and I'm gonna do some craziness with this beer. Um, you know, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, and um, this is like the quintessential lightning in a bottle thing. Like I struck gold, you know, and, and I couldn't tell somebody that this would just happen because this was pure luck. But uh, but I got to thinking to myself. I said, you know, what sounds good in a beer? I said, you know, um, I'm not talking about something that I can drink. 15 of but but you know it was september ish mm-hmm. sure and i wanted something that'd be good for the holidays i'm like what would be good for the holidays i, I was like you think of like you know the fine desserts and mm-hmm. sweet and you know you, you want everything to kind of be really really velvety and lush you know yeah. and, and i'm like what can i make how can i make a beer like that and uh you know there's all sorts of different peanut butter cup beers different things like that and i'm like I need something that just screams Christmas. And so I got a random idea for peanut brittle. Okay, I nice. That, I was like, I think a peanut brittle beer would be great. But I didn't want to do a porter because I wanted the actual flavor of that beer to come through a little bit more. I didn't want as much roast. Right. You know, I wanted something that would just really come through that way. So I came up with the uh, peanut brittle brown ale. You don't like coffee and, with your peanut brittle? What's <laughs> that again? You don't like coffee with your peanut brittle? <laughs> now... Uh, maybe on the side, maybe after the peanut brittle, <laughs> but, but, but I'm definitely not dunking my peanut brittle in the coffee. All right. Good call. <laughs> Fantastic. Good call. So, so you, as you're making a peanut butter brown ale, had you had, um, like, like, did you, do you start with, okay, I'm going to make, do you start with the brown ale recipe and then move forward? Or do you, you start with, how am I going to get this peanut brittle in here? Yeah. So, uh, so, so, so the first thing I, I was like, I don't even really know how to make a brown ale. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, the only thing that I knew was I had a very, very, very generalized understanding of malt characteristics. Mm. And I, and I was like, I think biscuit malt will, uh, will be good in this beer. Okay. And that, so I mean, that like seems right. A third, yeah. A third of the, uh, of the grain bill was biscuit malt. That's a significant and, portion uh, of this biscuit malt. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, then, and then a third of it was two row. And then the other third was a smorgasbord of my other, um, darker mm-hmm. malts. Okay. Nice. And I, and I, I couldn't even tell you percents right now because like I said, I literally just threw that thing together and had no idea how it was going to come out. So did you get any input from experienced brewers or was this just, this just all you? Uh, that this was purely me. I, I did when I went to Great Fermentations. Yeah. Um, I did. I did talk to a, a couple people about how to get a buttery flavor in beer, which of course we all know is generally a fault in a beer. Right. You. Uh, uh, you wanted some diacetyl in your yeah, beer. Yeah. I wanted. I wanted. I wanted just a, just enough to remind you of that peanut brittle. 
but not so much that it was slick and off-putting. Yeah. So, I, I like I like this. I don't dislike the taste of diacetyl, I think. Um, I like it when it's used in a beer well. Yeah. And, and you know, apparently, uh, from what I heard after I made this beer, it's really hard to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. And, and and after I made this beer, I never had another beer with diacetyl that I really appreciated. I'll be honest. Well, I think I, I think what's probably hard to accomplish is subtle diacetyl. I think anybody can can yes. like diacetyl. can fuck up their beer and make it make a buttery beer, but getting subtle diacetyl is is maybe a little more difficult, especially because things that make diacetyl uh, don't taste like diacetyl all the time. So like you can have you can bottle it and there's no butter, and then. Mm-hmm store it and then three weeks later it's like hey butter (laughs) absolutely absolutely so i i really credit it to the white labs 001 because i I wanted a fairly neutral yeast right i wanted something that naturally wanted to ferment clean but i just wanted to be as rude as i possibly could to it (laughs) right absolutely uh, when i fermented that beer i aimed for like literally the top actually went about a degree over so it it uh, it recommends fermenting up to seventy two. I fermented that beer at seventy three. Okay. And um and, and and it took roughly two and a half days to reach final gravity. And it's the only beer that I've ever just like checked on day after day because I didn't want it to clean itself. Right. You know, I, I wanted that diacetyl in there. And so the moment that I hit my expected final gravity, I uh, I crashed it immediately. So we just got a refractometer, and we're pretty excited about having a refractometer for our our brews now. Super jazzed! But when we on our first all grain brew, we were definitely just rocking the hydrometer. We're, are, mm-hmm. we're, are you doing this? Are you doing hydrometers, or do you have a refractometer for your first brew to make those checks easier? Oh, oh no! I was totally using um, totally using the uh, the hydrometer on that one. Yeah, I you know I just I can't just I'm just like oh I gotta waste six ounces of beer every time. Can I ask a really dumb question? Like a sure. like a super dumb question. Was there actually peanut brittle in in the beer? Yes, there was. Yeah, okay, I, I hadn't even gotten to how I how I put that in there. Okay, either. yeah, there there was. Uh, now you can you can debate whether it tasted like peanut brittle or some other dessert, but there was absolutely uh, that character in the beer. The yes. Dessert character. I'm in love with this beer. So how, how did you put the peanut brittle in? So um, so typically you need uh, a dark uh, corn syrup mm-hmm. in order to get uh, the the typical uh, bark, if you will, of the peanut of the peanut brittle. Yeah, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of that, and so I used maple syrup to get that. Okay, uh, which I do think worked well. My personal gripe with that beer was that it didn't have that authentic peanut brittle. It, it was desserty, not necessarily peanut brittly, okay. if, you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Right, right. And um, but if I didn't tell that to people, I had people come up to me and say, "Man, this is like peanut brittle in a glass." If you planted maple syrup in their head, it would throw them off, maybe. Yes, absolutely. Well, well, well. I think. Uh, I mean, I put maple syrup in it, but uh, but everybody else, you know, seeing what the name of it was, they drank it and said, "Oh my gosh, it's like peanut brittle in a glass." Except one guy that said, "This tastes like a chocolate chip cookie." Oh my god, that makes it sound better. <laughs> now there's a there's a there's a part of me that actually wants to take maple syrup and try and make brittle out of that as opposed to corn syrup. And then mm-hmm. the, but there's a lot of me that's like, oh fuck, maple syrup's really expensive. I don't well, want to do I'll that. T- I'll tell you it is, and I and I think that if you were to actually try to make peanut brittle out of that, yeah, um, it wouldn't come out necessarily quite right because it's got so much vanilla character. Yeah. Which is why I think the one guy 
tasted chocolate, chocolate, chocolate chip cookie. cookie when you okay. That makes sense. So, so you've brewed this brew how many times? Oh my god, at least at least eight times total now. Okay. Right. So I, I think this is an interesting thing because Jason and I just sort of like mess around with like I basically am too impatient to re. I've rebrewed one beer. It's a Dolce de Leche Porter, or the second time I did it, it was actually a Dolce de Leche Stout because it got a little heavy. Um, so. That's a once like, a year beer, though. We're yeah. we're doing that once a year, right? Uh, but everything else, I'm just like, oh, I want to try something different. I want to try something different. So, how many? As you you brewed this like seven times, how many recipes have you brewed? Like, how are you changing it or modifying it? And you know, what? How do? You, what changes or why would you change a recipe? How does a recipe evolve? Now, 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 are you specifically asking how have I changed the peanut brittle recipe, or how have I fit in other beers? Let, let Let's go with how how did. How, how have you changed the peanut brittle recipe? And then we'll kind of talk a little later about what your d- general thought is. If you're going to rebrew a beer and try to improve it, like what are the things you're looking for uh, okay. to make your changes? All right. So, so, so the first time that I ever brewed peanut brittle, I used uh, purely a peanut extract to okay. get the peanut flavor into it, <clears throat> which, uh, which like I said, turned out surprisingly well. I, I got a lot of really, really, really good feedback on that beer. But for me personally, not only did I miss the mark a little bit on the peanut brittle, right. but uh, but just the overall peanut character didn't taste quite authentic to me. Okay, and so uh, and, and so, but everybody loved it, and so I had to make I had to remake it. And so sure. I thought, okay, I'm going to remake it, but I'm going to try to remake it how I would like it. Mm. And so I, I stuck with the maple syrup because people like that. And then um, when I went with uh, my peanut edition, I cut my extract down uh, about eighty percent. And okay. then I added PB2 okay. um, in, in my boil. And, and I feel like that got me a little bit closer, but it was more peanut butter at that right. point. Right. Yeah. I see that so, stuff um, come up a lot in like peanut butter porters. Yeah. And, and so so then after that one, I, I, I liked some of the character, but I thought it was just a little bit too much peanut butter. And so the third time that I made it, I actually added the step of um, – so I, first off, I put my – PB2 in my secondary, which turns into a mess, but it works really well. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I also added uh, de-oiled uh, fresh peanuts, and I de-oiled them by literally breaking the peanuts down, putting them in a brown paper bag, shaking them until it was basically translucent with oil, dumping it into another bag, shaking it, you know, over a couple days, Ooh. and I added that to my secondary. Then I feel like that actually got me to my real uh peanut flavor how did you come by that process of de-oiling the peanut butter <laughs> i saw it online actually okay i um i'm on homebrew talk uh sometimes and i just kind of check and look and uh, because i was really kind of in a quandary i was like man i was like i think this this beer is a good beer that could really be a special beer but i've got to get this peanut flavor right right and, and i want it to be i don't want it to be artificial extract flavor right. i don't want it to necessarily be peanut butter flavor i want to i want people to actually think peanut when they taste this beer and so um and so i was figuring out a way to, to add actual peanuts to it and i came across that on homebrew talk and i gave it a try and you know sure enough I, I mean i mean you crush them up and you put them in there it releases quite a bit of oil because i wanted the head retention still so i had right. all that oil in the in the beer uh, i went through about three bags before i noticed that it was starting to stop soaking in that way and then you and, uh, threw the peanuts went, in yeah. had, i'm sorry and then you threw the peanuts in the secondary yep absolutely threw in there with the pb2 that's i i i really appreciate hearing that because i feel like more and more 
like uh, uh, craft breweries and microbreweries are doing like, uh, what would you call it? They're adding flavoring to their beers. Like they're trying to get a white chocolate stout or they're trying to get like a, um, I don't know. They're just adding syrup to the beers. Or they're doing like the the blonde stouts and things like that where they're adding. Where it's a light, it's a light beer that they're just adding flavor to. Yes. Now, um, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, the first time I ever had a blonde stout, yeah. it truly blew my mind because I was not expecting what I got. Right. Sure. But, but I can't say that I'm actually a fan of that style. No, and, I, and I agree. Because all I get is um, is just extract and almost like maybe a bitter chocolate, if you will. Right. Yeah. Now, this is a Kolsch beer with like some syrup in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you just made me a pale ale and put some syrup in it. I, don't, I, I am not a big fan of it all. Um, mm-hmm. like there's a reason the stouts are made with dark malts. Let's, I think let's just keep doing that. It might be a good, uh, like gateway. If you're, if you're trying to get someone who doesn't drink beer into drinking beer, you might start with like one of those beers or you might start, you might start with like a, not your father's whatever. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's not beer. I think not your father's yeah. is a really good segue into the off the wall question since it's really not about beer. So at this time we would like to ask Jason to ask Jerry the off the wall question. All right. Are you, are you buckled up? This question. Locked and loaded. Okay. I, I, Aaron uh, didn't necessarily explain this episode, which is fine for the listeners. They've heard this before, but for you, this question has zero to do with beer. Absolutely not. In fact, it has mostly to do with a fantasy world that I live with, live in inside my head. <laughs> Are you ready? I am. I am all set. As ready as I'm going to get. Here we go. Woo! How was your day? Oh my god! I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like the easiest question because you just lived it. <laughs> Uh, cool that this has been jason's off the wall question i i I do want to throw it out just for the sake of answering the question yeah i I had like the laziest day that turned into the craziest day oh shit and now i'm driving a beer so other so all in all good but it surprised me on both ends so we want to talk a little bit about uh, about your work so i'm glad jason went in that uh very on the wall direction with the off the wall question oh i fucked up uh uh, So, um, you, you, you are a uh, business owner, your own spirit of touch, health and wellness. Uh, so, yes. uh, your business includes, uh, uh, massage component and then also, uh, a nutritional counseling component. Can you talk a little bit about, um, how nutritional counseling fits into your beer brewing? Yeah. So, um, you talked about a tangent earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, keep kind it, of this line keep that it on somewhat the touches the circle but really kind of goes off its own direction. Okay. Um, that, that's kind of how beer is when it comes to nutrition. Now, yeah. I do want to say that uh, the yeast is actually really, really rich in B vitamins for, for anybody that cares to know that stuff. So there is some nutrition in beer. If you bottle condition. Um, but, um, but more importantly, yeah, I am a massage therapist by trade. Uh, I do a lot of nutrition uh, advising is what I'll say. I won't necessarily say counseling. I am not a nutritionist, mm-hmm. but uh, but I do have a good background with my degree in biochemistry and my uh, education in massage therapy about how different things affect the body. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I will tell anybody that massage therapy can be 
uh, a great addition to your lifestyle. I think it has a number of uh, really important benefits to the body. But but specifically, you know, when I talk about nutrition, I talk about getting in the things that make your body function well. And um, my uh, my my handle on Instagram is paleo healing underscore from within. Mm-hmm. And um, and the reason why it's that name is because uh, I had a big lifestyle change about three years ago where I lost a bunch of weight. Awesome. And, and it really not only inspired me, but it inspired a lot of people around me about how I did that and how I was able to accomplish those things. And I think that uh, the eating whole foods and having total nutrition and foods that work extremely well in your body are absolutely critical, not only for having the look that you want, but feeling how you should feel. Yeah. And, uh, and being able to perform in your daily life how you should perform. We've gotten so used to feeling lethargic in the morning. You know, we should wake up and be ready for the day. That doesn't happen a lot because of the things that we put in our body. You know, um, activity and all those, th- also all those sorts of things are incredibly important as far as our functionality. We were meant to move. We weren't meant to sit. You know, um, and then our food should truly be our medicine. And that's not a knock on uh, modern medicine at all sure. because there is a place for those things. But uh, but our body has a very unique ability to heal itself if given the opportunity, and we should utilize the things that have been put here on this earth to heal us. Now, long story, how does that fit in with beer? Um, hmm. From an alcohol standpoint, you know, there is no such thing as an alcohol diet. <laughs> it does not exist where it says you know drink 12 beers two darks and and 10 lights and you'll lose this much weight it's in fact not recommended please (laughs) drink responsibly jerry i think you know i think um, if if i edit this properly we're contributing to the obesity of our audience keep going yep But, but 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 i will tell you though that there is a place for alcohol in a diet and actually uh very very moderated amounts of alcohol can have beneficial effects to the body Mm. Um, and, and one of the ways alcohol is a natural diuretic, you know, uh, when you consume it in high quantities, it tends to lead toward obesity, but, um, but alcohol in moderation has a, has a very good diuretic effect. It helps mm. to clean and rid the body of some other toxins. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier that there are also B vitamins and yeast, which have a tremendous effects on our metabolism sure and so that's the reason why you should be drinking some beer at least a little bit right right i mean let's i mean i I feel like you can definitely be an apologist for but we all know that if you drink too much of it it, it's kind of an issue so you and i kind of have a a a similar story i i lost over 100 pounds i also lost over 100 pounds we all have a similar (laughs) we all have a similar story we're all a century of pounds lighter than we were at one point so I, 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 I apologize for calling you a motherfucker. It's okay. In, in my in my experience, there was kind of a, a, a every time that I lost a significant amount of weight, there was a moment or a thing that changed. Do do you have that same experience? And can you describe what that might be? When you say a thing that changed, are you talking about um, your personal life? Uh, are you talking about like a plateau? What are we? What are we? Like, like like for me. I stepped on a scale and I weighed 340 pounds and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And what changed was, I I don't think it really mattered what diet I picked, but I Mm -hmm. took an approach 
to discipline it, which it was just different. Like I was like, I, I had a purpose about it that was different and it wasn't motivated by other people thinking I should not be fat. It wasn't motivated by, mm-hmm. by anything, but me saying this is not the life I want to live. Sure. Now, now, yes, uh, I absolutely had some motivation. There was something that changed. And, um, the main, the thing that got me, it was like a stark revelation that I need to do something different. And, um, I was over at my mom's house and, uh, and she had just bought this new lamp and, you know, it was one of those floor lamps you have to like screw together and it stands up tall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she, she said, Hey, can you put this, this lamp together for me? And I basically put all the, the whole thing together and I was doing something with the cord down on the floor and I was leaning over and I didn't even realize it, but I was kind of holding my breath because my belly was in the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this. And, um, and as soon as I got done, I sat back and went <sighs> and took a big, deep breath. And she looked at me and said, um, are you okay? And I was like, oh, no, I was just trying to catch my breath. She was like, you were just sitting there. Why do you need to catch your breath? Right. And I, yeah, and I think and then what's interesting is like you have this moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to do this different. And even if you don't know how to do it differently at that point, mm-hmm. you're so far off. Anything you do is going to work. Yes. But as you get down, it gets harder and, and harder. So as a beer brewer and someone who's done this successfully, brewing beer, being interested in beer, like for you, you're around people who like to drink beer. You're in a homebrew club. In fact, president of the homebrew club. President of the homebrew club. So how much beer in a week? So you talk about moderation. Like what's your beer consumption look like in a week? This is the first time we've really asked, I guess, what your beer consumption was. Now, I'll be honest, and I hope nobody hates me for this answer, but uh, but I'll be honest, my beer consumption per week is probably maybe two to three beers. Okay. Right. Okay. That's, that's pretty you know, reasonable. Um, yeah. I, I I do a lot of brewing. I give away a lot of my beer just because I enjoy the hobby. You know, I absolutely love brewing beer. I understand that I can't just sit here and pound beers. You know, um, if I, if I'm at a social event, you know, I might have more than I'd have other times. Right. But even then, you know, um, it's it's only a few at a time because I know the effects that's going to have on my metabolism and how I'll feel the next day. Yeah. Right. And I feel like that kind of resonates with me. Like I can't drink many more than two or three beers a week and still get positive results. Absolutely. Well, you know, like I said, it's impossible. You know, I'll, um, I do want to make people aware of the fact that you can absolutely consume alcohol and lead a healthy life. Like I said, alcohol has a place in the diet right. as long as it's done in moderation and done responsibly. Yeah. You know, it can't be something where oh, I'm going to have three beers every night. And, uh, and I can't figure out why I'm not losing weight. <laughs> it's not going to work that way. <laughs> you know, uh, first off, beer does. So you said we could have three beers a night, not three beers a week, right? Oh, yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> do, do, you do you, but don't expect to also yeah, look yeah. like the television people, as I like to call them. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I watched this YouTube video with The Rock. And uh, and he talked about you know he consumes zero alcohol. There's Mother, a reason why he looks the way he does. God damn it! The he, Rock uh, is the coolest goddamn person alive. He is every every little change that you make to your body will reflect in your body one way or another, mentally or physically, or otherwise. You know. Um, but it, but but if if your goal is to attain a healthy weight, to attain a healthy lifestyle, you can have those things in moderation with alcohol. And, um, you know, I love beer, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I will always enjoy beer, but, um, you know, I, I just come to that realization that, you know, my days of pounding the case in a night, you know, died when I was 21. I've got to do something yeah. different than that. Yeah, absolutely. That, the, that does not work. Although it I, is fun. I feel like you've got to yeah. be somewhere between, 
you've got to be somewhere between you when you're in college and uh, future president Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Like, mm-hmm. uh, alcohol, no one needs to look like the I'm glad that future president <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson, 2020, 2022. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if yep, you're proclaiming that he's going to be in the president in six years or like 60,000 years. It's, I, 2020, 20, it's, it's funny. <laughs> I'm an engineer. I am bad at math. But uh, I feel like the healthy place to be. Uh, studies show that. Cultures that drink moderate amount of moderate amounts of alcohol, uh, along with other like healthy things, like they move and they eat uh, mostly vegetables, a lot of beans. Those people tend to live longer um, and yeah. be healthier for longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. And so there's there clearly there's not if you drink alcohol, it's not gonna it's not gonna have a negative long term impact on your life. It might even have a positive impact on your life. But if you overdo it, like with anything else, if you overdo exercising, yes. you're going to injure yourself. If you overdo um, counting calories, you're going to starve or you're yep. going to be very weak. Um, um, they, they, they always say we should we should drink more water. There is literally an amount of water that you should not drink. You, you, you can literally poison yourself with water. Yeah. Yeah. Too much of anything. I, I like to say that like beer is just water with stuff in it. Uh, mm-hmm. and, then, <laughs> and then I drink that. So I, I want to uh, switch back into kind of a more beer centric vibe. I think a lot of the folks who listen to the show, I know the people who are recording the show, uh, have thought or have spent time thinking are about. Are you talking about you and me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and me. We are the number two in the comma separated values list. Uh, a lot of people who listen to the show or Jason and I or a lot of our guests uh, have spent some time thinking about what it would like to do, what it is our passion, what is our hobby for a living. Can you talk about your aspirations to to maybe make peanut butter uh, or peanut brittle brown ale for the masses? Oh, absolutely. Along with my lifestyle change <clears throat> came this realization and, you know, you hear it all the time when you're a kid. You can do anything that you want to do. Right. Sure. You know, um, but, uh, but along with that lifestyle change came the actual realization that I actually have the ability to do anything that I'd like to do oh. as long as I put the time, dedication and effort in doing that. Yeah. And I really believe in what it is I'm doing. Um, I absolutely would like to open up hashtag Tyson Craft Brewing right. these days. Hashtag Tyson uh, Craft Brewing. We'll, we'll, we'll put yep. that bad boy up tonight. Absolutely. You know, uh, I, um, I I don't think that peanut brittle itself will become my everyday gallon by gallon favorite That'd because be so you just can't drink that much of that beer. But, um, but, 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 but I would love to have a time, you know, uh, where I can, I can serve somebody my good IPAs, my great alt beers, um, the great peanut brittles, you know, and just have that, um, that kind of, I don't know, that, 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 that moment of, I love this. I hope you love it as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I think that like, that's probably the best mindset to go into it with where I love this. Enjoy. Like, yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I'm a massage therapist by trade. You know, uh, that's what's paying my bills at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know that when I open a brewery, you know, I'm not raking in millions, you know, right. I, there, there, there's a lot of places that money's going to go. And so yeah. I'm not doing it simply because, you know, 
this is my retirement plan. I'm doing this because I, I really like beer. I really like brewing beer, and I really like sharing beer as well. So you're thinking of like rocking out like something on a nano scale where you're you're doing all in house distribution and you're making a, a modest income without scaling up, or are you thinking like, nah, let's go twenty barrels and start a production brewery? Well, you know, um, certainly nano, certainly nano yeah. to begin with. Um, I don't put limits on on anything anymore. All right, you know, um, I like. I, it. I, I've gotten past saying what I will, what I will or will not do because yeah. every time I say it, I end up lying. <laughs> All right. and so um limitless life right here with jeremiah tyson i definitely want to at least get to a nano scale and uh and be able to serve legally you know uh, and professionally to people mm-hmm. but uh i won't say how far or how big that won't go that's fair i mean a lot of nanos start out or a lot of places start out just trying to be nanos and when their beer is good uh, they scale up because people want it you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely if the, if, if the demand is there, why would you deny it? Yeah. To create demand. <laughs> no, <I'm> just, <laughs> what are you, Nintendo? Ah, uh, I'm not Nintendo. No, so so um, so as a brewer, we, we have uh, just a few minutes left before we have to wrap up the show. So as a brewer, I, I like to ask this to, to several guests. We don't ask it of everybody, but when you're brewing or if you're too persnickety while you're brewing to drink while you brew, after you're brewing, like what's your, what's your go-to beer? Oh, man, something light. Yeah, okay. because um, uh, unless it's December when I'm brewing, I am hot. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just I just did a double brew day uh, uh, just a couple days ago, and man alive! I mean, all I wanted was a beer. Uh, I usually have a beer or two while I brew. Yeah, but I just didn't have time uh, the way that I staggered the two brew days. So you got like and a so mash going on and a boil at the same time. Cream ale when I came in. Nice. Ooh. What, right. One you made or one uh, from somewhere else? Actually, it was one that I made. Okay, yeah. nice, very nice. I have like a, I have like another. Uh, this is a question I don't think we ask often enough. You as a home brewer, what are you buying right now? Like, what are the? Um, I would say that I, I probably so I'm on two very very far ends of the spectrum. Okay, when it comes to buying beer, I'm either a. You know, have you had have you had Founders Solid Gold yet? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what? I dig it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, like, like that's my kind of everyday, anytime beer. Okay. Um. So, so, so I'm either buying something like that. Um. And I, all right. So I'll, I'll tell you, Moontown Brewing. Sure. Have you guys been to Moontown yet? I have not been. I've not been. Town? Oh my gosh, fantastic! Up in uh, up in Whitestown, you guys, you guys have to go check all them right. out. Check Moontown it out. is fantastic. Um. Get their uh, King of Troy. Ooh. It's a it's a it's it's a lighter beer. Very 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 well done. Okay, King um, of Troy, Moontown yeah. Brewing. There's a there's yep, a absolutely. I actually so in college my my actual like I have a bachelor's degree in classical languages, and so I used to read the Iliad once a year, which is a mm-hmm. terrible like it's so much worse to read than the Odyssey. I don't know why I punished <laughs> myself doing this but <laughs> something about that beer name makes me think like i have to go there yes if, if you haven't been you've got i mean if you haven't been you've got to try it but i guarantee you um once you have it you'll go back okay all right we'll make that we'll make the repeated drive to whitestown so one of the things we always do is we take a listener question. So this time we have a very special listener question. So we're gonna we're kind of switch gears from some some of the things we've been talking about and talk about some some brewing basics. Um, this is from uh, someone very close to uh, Jason's heart. This is from Yenna. How long does it take to make a batch of beer? 
Uh, hi, hi, Anna. Uh, it takes as long as it takes. <laughs> it, it it varies from style to style. There, uh, you can. Uh, let, let, let's ask it this way, Jeremiah. What's the f- what's the fastest beer you've ever made? Peanut brittle. Peanut brittle. Brewing to glass in seventeen days. Seventeen. So so brew, brewing right. to glass for seventeen days. Diacetyl intact, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, and let, let's go. What's the slowest beer that you've ever made? Uh, the slowest beer that I've ever made was probably my American Lager. Which was a uh, grain of glass in about two and a half months. Grain of glass, okay. two. That's about right. We did a. I did a strawberry lager. It took ten weeks. So, yep. um, and I didn't. Again, I I was too lazy to and too scared to put oxygen in it to measure. So I just let it sit. I was like, ah, mm-hmm. I'll just wait for the, the the maximum amount of time, and then we'll drink it up. It was pretty good. It was. It was in fact pretty good. Uh, this I, I I will say that uh, if you're more familiar with using yeast to bake, like. Baking yeast tends to be very, very fast acting, and there tends to be a lot less. And this is me knowing Yenna. Uh, baking yeast tends to be very fast acting, and there's not nearly as much sugar to chew through, right? In fact, mm-hmm. a lot of what's going on there is the yeast converting starches to sugars uh, during the whole process. There's a lot of a lot of weird stuff going on. For beer, there is a shitload of sugar to chew through for the yes. yeast. It, it technically, if you think about any kind of bread that you have or any kind of baked good you have that is naturally leavened, there is alcohol in that bread or in that pastry because mm-hmm. the yeast is chewing through sugar and turning it into alcohol. It's just such a, a low volume that when you get into making beer, the amount of time it takes to get through all that stuff just takes a lot longer. And you're also doing it at temperatures where the yeast isn't as activated. You're trying to cool the yeast down. To get different mm-hmm. flavors out of it, or actually, usually less flavor out of it. So, yeah, you, you, the yeast will go if you, you know, if you ferment it like eighty, that sh- that should be done in like a day. But you'll have a bunch of other <laughs> yeah. stuff that the yeast has made. <laughs> it's, it's well, you know, and they, and they, and they've got a few different brands that now claim to be able to produce a clean beer in some of those ridiculously high ranges. Okay. I mean, I'll just stick with my, with my, with my Chico (laughs) and and rock it out. Uh, So that's good. So yeah, I think it's interesting. Like you, you, I I feel like, and I, I've seen information of of people going like grain to glass in, in like seven to nine days. Uh, What the fuck are they making? Well, a part of, so they're doing, they're doing three or four different things to get that fast. One, they're making a low gravity beer, so there's not as much sugar to chew through. Fair. Uh, Two, they're fermenting at a higher temperature uh, than normal, not a super high temperature, like 73 or 74 degrees, where you're not going to get a ton of off flavors. And four, they're doing a small batch with a whole bunch of yeast. So like a two gallon beer or a one gallon beer. Um, and you, you can do it that fast, but in a traditional five gallon batch, like for an ale, it's like 10 days. And for a, for a lager, if you're not, you know, messing around with the temperature a whole bunch, it's like 10 weeks. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. You now, can get a lager faster I, if you I, mess I with the temperature. One little wrench into it. Um, if, if you're brewing something like a, like a Hefeweizen. Sure. Um, wheat the, beer. The, those things do ferment pretty darn warm and they are raucous fermenters. Right. Yeah, oh. they, they, they chew, they chew through, uh, wort ridiculously fast and also um the uh, the german word hefe uh mm. means yeast and so it's a yeast uh, uh weizen or wheat so yeast wheat beer mm. and so um and so it should be cloudy it should not only have yeast character but it should actually have yeast in it which helps to make it cloudy 
And so, and so that's one that can go from grain to glass and, you know, easily in nine days because you're not actually waiting for the entire yeast cake to fall out. That makes sense. That was actually one of the first craft beers I ever had was the, uh, Yazoo Hefeweizen back mm-hmm. in, uh, ah, frick, probably 2008 ish, mm-hmm. um, down in Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Yeah. It's a, it's a good beer. Have, uh, I think Yazoo, they're, I think they're still around, which is, I think they're the original mm-hmm. Nashville craft brewery. Anyway. Anyway, so <laughs> we are, are coming up uh, to the end of the show. So as we wrap up, I want to thank everyone for listening. If you want to connect. You're welcome. With Jason, <laughs> you don't even download. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening. You can connect with Jeremiah on Facebook at Jeremiah Tyson. On Twitter at Tyson Craft Brew. Hashtag Tyson Craft Brew. Mm-hmm. You can also follow his massage business on Instagram at paleohealing underscore from within. That's his spirit of touch, health, and wellness. You can find out more about Circle City Zymergy, where he's the president, at circlecityzymergy.com. Check the shows for links to their Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Hashtag shows. If you like the show, consider sharing it with a friend or at your next homebrew club meeting. We would love to hear from you about the show. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Plato's Gravity, or hit us up by email at podcast at platosgravity.com. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, brew yourself a mean alt beer, brew some beer, and have some fun. It doesn't really work when I <laughs> brew some alt beer. Uh, uh, just uh, have fun, brew some fun, and have some beer. All right, we're out. We're out.